Hey everybody, this is Raymundo Gonzalez. And this is Jamani Rosario. Welcome to the Latinx Guard Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. Remember, everything we say is just for fun. Nothing's meant to be taken too seriously. If you are going to be a hater, stay a hater. But either way, support. Welcome everybody to Latinx Guard Podcast, episode 12. This is a very special episode today because we are doing our very first Q&A episode. A doubly special episode. Doubly, is that a word? Yes, I guess it is now. Okay. So, a doubly special episode because we have our special guest once again. I guess he got fired from his job because fired. he's only coming on this podcast ever since he got fired. Hey. Uh, welcome. It's me, Anthony Grahalis. So, welcome to the show again. Uh, we're really lucky to have him so consistently on the podcast. Wouldn't be a Latinx Guard podcast with more Latinos trying to bring other Latinos down Hell for yeah. something that they created and trying to get in on it. So. Word. This is your host, Ramona Gonzalez. And this is Giovanni Rosario. And let's get straight into it. So a bunch of you submitted questions on Instagram, uh, either through DM, coming up to us in person, or commenting on our post, which we really appreciate. We also really appreciate anybody who's taking the time to review uh, and leave a rating on Spotify. And also, just a quick announcement, we've also just recently uploaded our podcast to Apple Podcasts. Hey. So if you've been limited in how to listen to our podcast, maybe you don't have Spotify, maybe you don't have Instagram and you only listen to Apple Podcasts, it's right there. Go to Apple Podcasts, Latinx Guard Podcast, and give us a listen, please. Leave, leave us a rating wherever you find us. We'd really appreciate it. So the first question that I got, which is, I can't believe we haven't talked about this before. It's 12 episodes, and it's going to be on the Q&A episode. Maybe it will even get its own episode one day, is the gi versus no gi question. Now, when this person asked me this question, it was more like, what was my personal preference? I think that's what we should stick to just for today. Because this would be a 10-part episode. Yeah, it would be like a 10-part episode. Yeah. Like, the cultural wars that have happened, like, it's an internal blood feud, like, an internal familial feud in jiu-jitsu, gi versus no gi. We've even seen the rise of some no gi-only schools, right? Yes. And um, so there, there are just many, many different debates that we can have in the gi versus no gi debate. So we're just going to stick to our personal preferences for right now. So, Jamani, why don't you start off? Which one do you prefer? Man, I'm going to say now, if you're asking me today, uh, today's July 5th, 2023, I'm going to choose no gi just because it's po- more popular. I will always love both, and I'm going to always try to choose both when asked. But since we got to make a decision on the podcast, I'm put on record if I had a gun to my head. Sophie's cho- choice. Gonna, Save no gi. Gonna gonna choose no gi. Um, that said, I do I do love the gi a lot. You know, I'm a traditionalist at core. How yeah. about you? What about you, Grahalis? Well, so what I'll say, this has been true for me lately, is while I am better in the gi, I prefer no gi. And I think, like logically, I want to say it's because like I feel better after I finish a no gi training session for the most part. Like you don't know, get stuck in like a weird position for four minutes. Right. But I think. I think emotionally, the actual reason I prefer no gi is because I'm a contrarian, and there's <laughs> I train less no gi, so I'm just like I'm like oh I can't do it, so that means it's better. But right now it's been no gi for like the last like year or so. Yeah, so I'm gonna be the contentious one. Oh, I am a staunch gi supremacist. Mm. I think that every jiu-jitsu school should have a gi program. Okay. I think if you don't, you're pissing away money. Okay. Um, I love the gi. B team, you suck. B team sucks, bro. Okay. I'll be their gi instructor. <laughs> Contact me, Rucker Mundo, on Instagram, and I'll teach the gi. I'm pretty sure all of them. No, Craig Jones like could smoke me in the gi very easily. He's, nah, I think he could in got the him. gi up until black belt. Yeah, yeah. but anyway. you would smoke him for sure. He's for a bum. sure, bro. <laughs> easily, ninety so, seconds. I I love the gi. I love the gi just because. Um, personally, I, I love both. I I really have fun in no gi, but I feel like more mentally stimulated and more mentally rewarding in the gi. Now, of course, this is like the caveman no gi versus like the scientist like. 
gi argument, but um, I, I just like the gi because I grew up doing karate, so I was wearing a gi basically my whole life. So I, it's something very like familiar to me. Girl, Hollis, you have a, like a very contentious look <laughs> on your face I, right I now. I did taekwondo, but that doesn't mean I. I mean, I want to wear the weird hoodie thing when yo, I'm doing. I literally jiu-jitsu. started jujitsu because I wanted to get a. I wanted to put the kimono on and get fucking belts. Like, yeah. I mean, we. I think for a lot of people, that's normal. We all want to put that shit on. It's cool. I you know. I think. I think I started jujitsu because of MMA. So for yeah. me, the fact that there was geese and stuff like that was something that I found out like kind of later. I'm like, oh, they wear geese too. Yeah, that's cool, I guess. And so for me, that wasn't part of like the cultural allure of jujitsu. So that's I guess that's fair. why I made. This I, I also enjoy, like, I guess, <clears throat> in specific to jiu-jitsu, like when playing guard, I like that. I tend to, for, for the kind of guards that I play, I, be, I like that the gi forces me to be more creative. Um, I think in no gi, everybody just kind of falls into a leg lock kind of game, so that seems to be where most of the fights end up. <clears throat> um, but yeah, no I, gi, it is. I think that in the gi, there are just so many moves that I can use in so many different situations. Hell yeah! But I think in no gi. I think this is somewhat attractive to certain people and attractive to me, definitely. But realistically, I only think there's like a handful of moves that work on a high percentage basis. Right. Yeah. And I think this just simplifies the game a lot and is what makes it appealing to a lot of people. Like when you're on the back in Nogi, realistically, the highest percentage move that you can and should go for is the rear naked choke. Right. Yes. But as opposed to in the Gi, there's just so many different finishes that you can go for. Right. And this can detract a lot of people. Some people saying that you only got that submission because we're wearing these like fancy clothes. Right. So I, I think that the gi is just more rewarding for me because it stimulates me more. Um, and I think it's just, I, I guess there's more variability in each encounter that I have in the gi versus no gi. I, feel like, I think like a lot of my no gi roles typically look the same just because I guess I feel handicapped with the amount of techniques that I can theoretically go for. Now, there are some people that are going to say like, no, let me show you this no gi flow roll where I hit like 20 different techniques. I'm like, yeah, good for you. Like I can just come <laughs> up with techniques too. But... I think that in the gi, or I, sorry, in no gi, you're very limited with, like, I think at least your creativity, yeah. right? Just because there are still ways that people are finding ways to manipulate the gi to control other people and different techniques that are being applied using the kimono. And in no gi, that's not really the case. Except, if, like, if you're revisiting, like, Eric Paulson clips and, like, <laughs> <laughs> like pinching people's noses and, like, going for, like, inverted toe-holds from, like, top side control, I'm like, oh, okay, now you're just, now you're bugging out. yeah. This is a couple bugged out people. Um, either way, gear no gear, you can come get this smoke no matter what. For sure. Now, next, one of the questions I got, um, which is kind of on topic, right? Um, what is your favorite guard? So, Anthony, I'll start with you. It's half guard. Like, no, <laughs> All right. Simple. <laughs> Let's keep it real simple. It's like not to go be, be too much of like a, a stereotype, but like the master's brown belt. I love I love half guard and, and I think for me it's like the more I train the uh, the more I'm starting to become more comfortable playing open guards playing like more open guards and like shin on shin and all these things that like fail into half guard yeah yeah but for the most part I like to play half guard because I think it reduces the amount of variables that are going on it's like if like if we're open and we're completely detached there's so many things that my partner can do you could do like a cartwheel pass or flip over me and that those are obviously like extreme examples. But they could sort of just do whatever and they have to react to it versus if they're in my half guard, it goes from like a million different things they could do to like four maybe yeah. that they're going to try to do consistently. Like you know, they can try to backstep you, they can try to grab your head, all these sort of things. But it really slows the, down the pace of the game. Yeah. And I'm always down for making everything slower, which, yeah. which is probably why I'm better in the gi and not in no gi, <laughs> even though I like no gi more. It's just slow. Yeah. 
And I mean, to, to raise point too, right? Like, there's only so many moves that are efficient. I think it's the same for guards, right? Yeah. Like, you see these days, like, so many different guards are made. I feel like every day we find a new guard, a new name for it, um, and not as effective as the basics. Um, Backside Ashigurami. <laughs> how about you, Ray? What's your, what's your favorite guard? So I think my favorite guard is going to follow the same <laughs> line of reasoning for my preference in Gi versus No Gi. My favorite guard is Delahiva guard. Okay. Um, just because... There's just so many options from that position, right? That's one of the things that I really teach my um, my students when we're either doing private lessons or I'm teaching people like two minutes after class, like a basic Delaheva guard is that there's just, this is more like a base of operations and it's more like a transitory position than like an actual position in and of itself, right? Like if you look at some of the best Delaheva guard players like uh, Cobinha or Hafa Mendez, right? They use that position to transition to other positions or other guards yeah. or off balances where they can then score on their opponent, right? Yeah. Uh, I think I can think of very few techniques that actually take place in Delhi Heva guard proper. It's typically always like um, an off balance to a submission threat, another guard that has more stability, or into like a, a sweep, right? Right. So I think the the sheer amount of options that I have from Delhi Heva guard just keeps me coming back to it i think it's very accessible like meaning that you can get into it very easily yeah um and it's very suited to like a very dynamic play style so if you like to do a lot of different things at once right if you like to have options to move to a lot of different uh positions i think it's suitable for somebody who likes to play jiu-jitsu like that so it's my favorite position yeah um i actually i, I went to a seminar by um i hosted by isaac doderling at uh, the dojo out in Bushwick and um, it, it was a De La Hiva masterclass more or less so I mean I, I really think that the De La Hiva is a such an important position to to introduce early on right so that's really dope that you show it to your students especially because like when talking about open guard right like it's great when we can get them to half guard and slow them down but sometimes when when they're standing right we need to find these controls to kind of slow them down and like you said right it's such a great position to off balance and you have so many options right so maybe you're not uh, a bolo guy well we can get into like x guard or look for the back so that that's a really that's a really good one yeah what about you Giovanni? what's your favorite guard um, I mean, butterfly guard. Um, <laughs> I think butterfly guard has, has always, I think since I was a blue belt, was probably when I first started um, using it very frequently. And, and I've just really based my game all around it. Like, um, even when I even when it comes to open guard, like, uh, I'll play a lot of shin to shin or reverse de la Hiva, just because those are, I, I can use the same mechanics of the butterfly guard or the lockdown and stuff like that. Um, plus, it's like, I don't want to hop on the, you know, the DDS training, calling everything system but like butterfly guard was the first guard where I like really broke it down into like okay what kind of grips can I use what can I do with these grips what are my options and I really just like um you know I broke it down have a you know on, on sheets and shit like I got real analytical you with it whiteboard. yeah yeah and um but I, I've always been a, a fan of of the butterfly guard I I love all of the guards but that's gonna be my favorite for sure probably forever Great. So the next question, we might be on for a while. And oh. I want to preface this oh, by man. saying starting the timer. that we are not professionals in terms of the diet or we are not registered dietitian. Actually, I'm a certified nutrition coach. So everything I say, my cert is on the line. Come so, after me. And because we're here, we're, technically, we also got a we're also coaches. Um, yeah. But I, I, I want to preface this by, just by saying. That if you're at a dinner or if you're talking to your significant other or whoever, right, your mom, your dad, 
and they're asking you, oh, where'd you get this nutrition advice from? And you say, the Latin X Guard podcast? Nah. Just take a second to see how that would sound. Yeah, n- okay? Nah, don't, don't do that. So no, every- do that and then send them the link and then tell them to like and subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> what do you mean? Don't yeah, tell them. Yeah, tell like, everyone. Tell just, the waiter. Yeah, just like, yeah, but don't take our advice too, too serious. So the question that I got next was, what do you think is the best diet for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as an athlete and as a student? So I am just going to start by saying that I'm a vegetarian, right? So I we don't have a even question meat. about that. <laughs> oh yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm a vegetarian for multiple different reasons, right? But I think I first started being a vegetarian because when I had to train multiple times a day, right, it was just easier for me to prepare foods that didn't really have meat in them. And I found that especially because I was teaching and training, um, very close to one another, right? Like I would, I had a very tight schedule. I would typically have to like just get these meals in whenever I had like 30 or 15 minutes, right? And I typically felt a lot better when I ate like a plant-based meal or a vegetarian meal than if I ate like, I don't know, beef stroganoff like right before I trained. I would try, I was just literally puking on the mats, like trying to hold it down. Um, I didn't feel as heavy and it was just better for me. Now, there are other reasons why I'm vegetarian, but I won't really divulge into that, um, into this episode, but I think that that's probably the primary reason why I started going vegetarian. Um, Giovanni, what about you? What are your dietary habits? Um, well, I, I've done a lot of things like just trial and error. That's been my approach. Um, I started, I did a little bit of wrestling when I was in high school. And then I kind of, after high school, I, I kind of started my fitness journey. I was going to the gym a lot. Then after jujitsu, I kind of took all those things that I learned. And then I kind of just started to play around with it. So, you know, I used to... Um, I went through a period where I did not eat any meat. Um, I started by not eating red meat. Then I started not eating any meat. But, you know, then I got introduced meat. I went for a while um, without trying not to eat much dairy for, you know, for health reasons. Um, What I did find is that, like, with all of these things, I kind of find what works best around my training, right? So, like, I definitely know that I need to have a light snack before my training and I need to have usually a light snack right after I don't like my stomach doesn't feel great or I don't have such a big appetite right after training um but it's ultimately going to come down to you know yourself and your your lifestyle I think if you're training um your diet has to kind of match that training so if you're training five six days a week like you know all these other things that we kind of lack, like the sleep, the diet, all that stuff, like that has to kind of match it up and balance it, right? Because we're also just going to burn out and get injured and all that stuff. Or sick even. Yeah, or sick. Um, So definitely, like, I try to... I don't like vegetables as much, but, you know, you got to have your vegetables. You got to have your your complex carbs. Like, there's... If you can structure it and find what works for you, like, you can have everything. You can have your slice of pizza, right? I We do know... We have training partners who tend to go far left and all they do is eat pizza and chicken and pizza all, only only pizza and like fried chicken it's like yo, fried that's- chicken sandwiches or chicken burgers some people call them yeah they're bugged out. they, they are but, bucked out but yeah we have partners like that and i'm someone who like i noticed that like well number one i could talk about nutrition forever so i'm just gonna <laughs> keep this limited to training but it's like there was a time where i would be able to eat pretty much whatever i wanted and yeah. then train like really hard afterwards and i don't i'm not sure if it's like I got older or if it's that like maybe that stuff bothered me and I didn't notice it or maybe I, I wasn't eating that much food. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going crazy and I, I wasn't really eating a lot. But I noticed that there's some foods now that I eat, if I eat them right before training, they bother me more so. And it's like when you brought up why you initially became vegetarian, I could get down with that because I can, I can imagine right now that if I 
if I put anything heavy in my stomach, like if I sat down and I fucking ate a 16-ounce steak, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, now I'm going to go train really hard, that wouldn't feel good. Um, and so something I've noticed that, well, in general, when it comes to dieting, I guess, I do something they call it like scientific dieting, which is like whatever. It's just, you know, you have your macros, blah, blah, blah. It's right. not about what the macros are specifically, if it's, if it's rice or if it's pasta or if it's whatever. It's pretty much all the same. Um, but what I've noticed in relation to training is, is like Giovanni said, you have to eat uh, in a way that suits your training, right? So it's like, number one, if there's nothing wrong with eating any specific type of food, but if you're allergic to it, like I don't think there's anything wrong with consuming dairy. I consume lots of dairy and I'm fine. Yeah. But if you consume dairy and then you're going to fucking shit yourself to death, <laughs> then don't eat dairy. But it's also stuff like, if you know you're going to be training really hard and you didn't find there wasn't time in your schedule to eat like a quote unquote real meal like two hours before, then you need to get some carbs in before you train. Like if you're going to train and it's you, you literally don't have any carbs in your body, that's going to hurt your sports performance. And then if you're someone who lifts weights, number one, if you're just anyone, but especially if you're someone who lifts weights, you need to get in like the appropriate amount of protein and after you lift weights, it's less, it's actually less about like the quote unquote anabolic window. It's more so about like getting again, carbs in immediately after training. And so that's one of the things I like to think about is have I eaten within like two or three hours of my hard training session so that I'm carved up. And if I didn't, then I need to go eat some simple carbs, whether that's a Gatorade, whether that's a banana, whether that's, you know, honey nut Cheerios, whatever it is. Like I need to get carbs in. Cause if I, if I go and I eat like a bowl of oatmeal, that's great. But that oatmeal is not going to break down in time for me to start bugging out. So, yeah, that's one of my things. Um, there's also like the, those fruit pouches, like ba- the kind of baby food that come in the to go. Those are great. Like especially if you're on the go. Like, like I think Ray said, uh, you know, when you're teaching and training, and when you're just like active your whole day, and you might not have the the one hour lunch break where you can sit down. Like sometimes, you know, even if it's your in your commute, just having you know snacks that are easy to travel with. That's also been a big help for me. Um. But yeah, so much of my diet is drinking, <clears throat> drinking my calories now for the exact reason Ray brought up. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are so many schools of thought on specifically like what you should eat. Like, right. Like there's so many like um, different podcasts. Do you eat this th- or don't eat yeah. that. This yeah. is a super fruit. Whatever. I-, I think it's personally like how and when you eat them. Right. Um, I think both of you made great points that if, if you find yourself that you're just eating two meals a day and you're training uh, 17 times a week, right? And you're only eating fried chicken and pizza on those two times. Like your your diet is just not going to mass up with what your body is demanding of you, right. right? I'm not saying that you can't like be competitive and um, eat fried chicken and pizza. Like I've seen people who um, that uh, indulge in those meals like after they train, and that's fine. But you what you don't see is that these people are also eating like um, different foods to meet those macros or right. to meet those um, calorie exp- yeah or micronutrients or calorie expectations, right? Like if you just put more work or demand more work from your body, it's going to demand more fuel, right? And if you're trying to reach a certain weight or if you're trying to bulk up or cut or whatever that means to you, you're going to have to tailor your diet in order to meet these expectations, right? Um, If you're trying to bulk, you're going to have to eat a lot more. Like something that I really didn't understand when I first tried to bulk up, like I would gain like three, four, five pounds at a time is just that I had to eat a tremendous surplus of food in order to keep up with the workload of my body. Like, I was basically eating a surplus for somebody who really wasn't working out that much. And I was wondering why I wasn't gaining that much weight. But then when I understood exactly how much I had to eat, like to the point where some days I just didn't want to eat anymore. Yeah. Right. I think um, especially when you're doing jujitsu and it's the workload you're going through is so variable. It's really hard to consistently guess it. So if you're trying to gain weight and you're like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to eat in like an 100 calorie surplus is like, well, number one, good luck 
guessing what the hundred cal like actually counting to that very specific amount. Right. And number two, good luck guessing what your calorie expenditure is when you're coming to training and you don't pick who you're training with. And sometimes you could train and feel like, oh, I went really hard, and you're just sitting there amount playing with your phone for you know thirty <laughs> minutes, and it's like you you're you were going hard in your brain, you were getting the outcomes you wanted, but your body was chilling. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, it's like to your point, like. I think it's really easy if you're trying to just do it like I'm going to do a lean bulk or like a small cut. Like that's fine if it works for you. But something I found like when I started trying to bulk up while doing a shitload of jujitsu was I couldn't just be in a 200 calorie surplus because I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm someone who grapples and that's a huge amount of calories spent. And it's, it's not the same every time. I just had to make sure I was actually in a surplus or actually in a deficit. Yeah. Um, same thing with a deficit, right? When I'm trying to cut weight, um, I had to really make sure that I was still getting in my macros and micronutrients while yeah. also being in a calorie deficit, which can actually be just as hard when you're trying to actually think about being in a caloric surplus, right? Um, being in a caloric deficit, but also being in a caloric deficit that's not going to be detrimental to your training, right? Yeah. If you just like just eat like three bowls of rice a day and then two glasses of water, like your training is going to suffer or, and this has been proven, you're more li likely to get injured, yeah. right? Your body's just not going to have what it needs in order to hold itself together and you're just going to end up hurting yourself. So I think diet is very important. I think more than anything, like just be conscious of how and when you're eating, right? Um, what you're eating can be tailored um, specifically to what your specific goals are. But I think diet when it comes to training, are synonymous, right? Yeah. Um, um, and, and one last thing before we move on to the next question. I think carbs get a bad rep. I think um, a lot of people feel like they have to cut all their carbs, but when they're cutting weight or they can't have... I'm like, listen, first of all, everybody's different, but carbs are not evil. You should, There are carbs you can have even when you're cutting weight. Like, that's been... Carbs aren't the enemy. That, that, that's right. I like, um, when, I f when I first started competing in jiu-jitsu, I remember, like, there were periods where I would cut all the carbs. I maybe had 100 grams in a week before. And it's just, like, you feel... Obviously, when you're younger, you don't feel these things as much, but adding carbs, like, the week of... Like, leading up to the tournament and being able to eat carbs even the night before, that has made such a huge difference in, in my the way I feel... Um, prepping for the comp, the day, the way I feel the day of, like um, carbs are not the enemy, so don't be hating on carbs. Yeah, and one one last thing also, uh, not to um, uh, try to one up Jobani, but one thing about diet is that it's it's different to all people, right? Right. It, like something that could work for one thing right. can not necessarily work for another person, or and it can work for one person, not necessarily work for another person. Like one example that I have is um, one guy we'll call him like Jimmy Two Soups, right? Um, something about Jimmy Two Soups is that I've seen this guy only eat Twix bars and Gatorade and Red Bulls and cigarettes, and he's minced, right? Minced. Just so jacked. Clean. Right? Clean. Ripped. Cut. Diced. But some other guy who's like really pays attention to his body has like that bag of milk physique, bag right? Bag of milk. And I think it just really depends on your particular person. For um, sure. I think you shouldn't like really look at like what my body looks like and then equi uh, equate that to training, yeah. right? Or training expectations. Um, I think I've seen people who look like a 40-year-old man that um, just, like, only plays recreational softball, but then he puts the wood on me, right? And <laughs> then the, the guy who's a bag of milk who beats up Jimmy Two Soups. Yeah, so. Jimmy Two Soups, right? So I think it's, um, along with diet, like, physical um, performance, um, I think personally trumps all, right? Yeah. Um, and diet has a huge part of that. Or sometimes it has more of a uh, bigger part than some other people. All right, Giovanni, what's our next right, question? one last thing. No, I'm oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I was just kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, so this is a question for both of you. Um, 
what are two things you enjoy and what are two things you do not enjoy about competing? Start okay. with, with Ray. Okay. So one thing that I definitely enjoy about competing is just the sensation of winning, right? I yeah. think that's a big dot energy, right? Yeah. I think personally, I never really understood like people who are in like the bullpen and they're smiling with their wives and the children say, I'm <laughs> just happy to be here. Like, no, bro, I want to win. Right? And it feels really good when you win. Yeah. I, I think it validates all of your hard training. I think it validates your choice to take jiu-jitsu seriously or at least tr- train uh, as much jiu-jitsu as you do and to have this be like a serious hobby in your life. I think like all that validation um, really like makes all that hard training and all those personal sacrifices worth it. Um, uh, I think another thing about competing is just, and this is a lot more wholesome than just like win and at any cost, but it's meeting all the different types of people that you uh, do jiu-jitsu with, right? Yeah. I think even when you go to a local competition, you'll be surprised at how many people train jiu-jitsu in your area, right? Yeah. And how many different walks of life come together to just celebrate this one sport, right? I, I thought it was always amazing going to like a, a high, um, sorry, a, uh, a like a... A prestigious competition and then just seeing all the different people that do jiu-jitsu right and it's like hey i'm from the netherlands or hey i'm from africa or i'm from japan or yeah. i'm from brazil and just conversing with all these people and um seeing where all they come from and just seeing that no matter where you come from we can all share in this one sport um things that i hate about competition i think first of all it's just dealing with all the different types of regulations that come yeah. with, like, all the different types of, like, um, organizations. Right. I think that I really have to be in tune with, like, the specific rule set that I'm competing under. And that just comes with, like, study. Like, I, when I compete under a certain rule set, and I, I particularly, it's not my favorite rule set, but that's the rule set that I'm competing under for that day. Like, I mean, I, I guess I just have to hold that, you know? Yeah. Um, if I am competing in a division where, like... When I was a blue belt, I didn't necessarily agree that toeholds should be allowed at blue belts. But when this fucking blue belt's trying to rip my foot off in the toehold, I, I just have to deal with it, right? Right. Um, I, I think, like, I, I wish there was more uniformity in the rules in jiu-jitsu. I think the fact that there's so much variability depending on the organization that you're competing under. Or the rank. Or, or the rank, right? Right. It doesn't really, like, it, it was never for me. Yeah. Right. I, I just thought that was always like really weird because it, at least in other sports, right, whether you're competing in like, I mean, I guess it may be different, but whether you're competing in like junior leagues or whether you're competing in minor leagues, it's pretty much the same rules that's in the big leagues. Right. Yeah. That, it is true in other combat sports where they'll have different rule sets. Right. Where you'll see there's a huge difference between and pro boxing versus amateur boxing, not yeah. just in the sense that like, oh, the round times are different. Or they're not wearing headgear, but they're literally scored differently. Yeah. And so sometimes you'll see guys who have like an amazing, like, um, amazing record as an amateur, and some of that is yeah, as padding or whatever. But some of it is just the matches are literally scored differently. Like for like amateur boxing, anyone can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's so much about it's just like did contact happen? Yes, no. That's a point. You know, they're sitting there with the clicker, yeah, click, click, yeah. click, click, click. This guy, he he hit my arms ten thousand times. That count, there was only half scores, but, you know, he hit me 10,000 times and I hit him 50 times, so he won. Right. And in pro boxing, there's a lot more discretion paid to, like, who, you know, who, quote-unquote, did the damage, who was landing effective shots, and that's going to be more subjective. But that means that you'll get totally different results from those two different scoring systems. Same thing happens in Muay Thai, where for smokers, they're, they're really on top of them. They don't want anyone to get knocked out. They'll, like, se- if it looks like someone's going to get TKO'd, they'll separate them and then give the guy who's, who got TKO'd, like, 20 seconds, and then they'll right. resume the fight. They won't let them throw elbows. They'll let them throw knees, but not to the head. 
and then it goes from there to the amateurs to the pros and then eventually they're fighting on their full rule sets and depending on how you fight that might have a huge difference if you're someone who's like yo bro i got the gnarly elbows it's like well that's great but you're only going to get to do that when you're in a pro fight and you have to go through like a lot of series uh, of competitions before you get there and that's a huge investment of time and so on and so forth it's like the equivalent of being only like a heel hook master but you're a white belt it's like well it's going to be a long time before you're allowed to do those in a competition. Right. Yeah. Um, and my last point and why uh, I hate competition. God, I just had it. We might have to come back to me. Um, oh, it, it pays no money. Right. I, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I think. No gains. No, there's no gains. There's no financial gains. There's no monetary incentive to compete. Yeah. Um, I think if I were to go out right now and win every single brown belt tournament in the world, I would be in the hole thousands of dollars. Um, I would be in the hole, like trying to pay for my flights, right? Trying to pay all these registration fees, pay for all the expenses that come with competing. It's just, it's it's not a lucrative career, especially in what, and I use this word lightly, like the the amateurs, right? Right. Um, now, the one thing that I really don't like about jiu-jitsu, or rather competitive jiu-jitsu in general, is just like this very blurry line between what separates amateur jiu-jitsu and competitive and um. Uh, professional jiu-jitsu really it's like i guess the real only line that i guess separates any amateur professional sport is the fact that you get paid yeah Yeah. but even in professional jiu-jitsu the paychecks are not worth it right i think even the highest tiers of the sport are still only paying like maybe 10 grand maybe 50 grand if you're lucky there's only a handful of guys who make their money from competing yeah but I, i think those guys who make their hand or make that money from competing will say that the majority of the money that they make is not from competing yeah. Right, it is from the exposure that winning these competitions grants you for seminar yeah. abilities, private abilities, and I think instructionals. Instructionals is the biggest one, right? You get to release a DVD, and then twelve million people buy your DVD, and now you're all of a sudden you're set for at least a couple years. Now Raymundo selling Raymundo Guard on BJJ Fanatics. Yeah, and yeah. he's selling out the Raymundo BJJ. You know, Raymundo does Dallas BJJ <laughs> seminar series, and and that's that is a way to make money, but it, it's like that's just that's just enhancing your other revenue stream. It, right. it itself is, it's like you don't go out there and you stand on the podium and you get a $10,000 check. It's like, okay, now you have the ability to keep working. Now your value has grown. Yeah, your value has grown, but you're still doing something that you're already doing now, which is teaching. And making yeah. money off of that. All right. What about you, Giovanni? Um, well, <sighs> number one, um, I, I'm going to agree on some of the points you made, but one, the first thing I really like about competing, I have... Um, three younger brothers so I've always been competitive in nature so I really enjoy just like fucking going one-on-one with someone that's just it's who I am I've always enjoyed that part even when like and I try to keep it fun of course but like even when I train like I just love you know my best rounds are with my friends where we can talk shit and we can you know go hard and all that stuff so I really enjoy that about Jiu Jitsu um and then I enjoy so much but I think if I had to pick one more it'd probably be the experience I get from it you know like um unless you've competed in a sport any sport really you won't be able to experience the kind of growth that comes with any competition for for the sport that you're doing um obviously there's a lot of emotions there's a lot of prep so like with that comes a lot of growth in itself um but yeah just just all the experience you know like the losses don't feel great but they've you know they've improved my jiu-jitsu they've made you know they've improved me as a person um as well as the wins you know the other day i was just like talking with my eight-year-old brother and he was like asking me about the medals and shit and not that the medals like obviously they're great like they're cool to have but you know just the experiences the matches like you said earlier right like the people you meet all that stuff the memories like um you know 
I have some pictures of me doing like a competition in Naga at White Belt. And I was like, damn, I look so ridiculous. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And, you know, I, I can't say that I know too much now, but it's just like it's nice to be able to like look back and be like, if I had if I didn't do those competitions, my growth wouldn't have been where it's at, you know. Um, and then I really I hate so much about the, the competition scene. I think number one is what you said, like just the inconsistencies between all these organizations. So there's different rules. There's different things that like, you know, it, it, it requires you to, to study and all that shit, which is cool. But, you know, it would make it a lot easier for competitors if there were just one set rule that we can all follow by, you know. Um, and the other thing I don't like is that these there's no and this will probably always be an issue but like all these tournaments i don't care how professional you are they always run so behind on time they lack a oh, they're terrible they 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 just and, and obviously there's things that are out of your control right like you're renting this big arena x i totally acknowledge that the wi-fi goes down yeah there's just so many things right and i get that but they don't like once you step into a lot of these things and I'm not saying for all of them but you can tell that everybody's lost like the ring coordinator doesn't know what the you know what the head ref is doing you're trying to find like you're trying to find somebody who's responsible or who can actually help me out with the problem I'm having and nobody seems to help so there's there's so much un organization they're so unorganized a lot of the time and i get it like there's a lot of people so i think that some of these promotions have to like find a better system i don't know if it's hiring people that are better at these jobs or like maybe you know making the tournament smaller whatever it is like they there needs to be a way for them to structure that a little bit better you yeah. know ibjf is pretty good about that but i've still seen it where they're like they're like oh we're, we've been looking for this guy for 40 minutes i'm like you mean Johnny Two Soups, he's right there. He's standing right by the, the ring. But he's been standing there for 40 minutes. And that's crazy because sometimes they will do 40 minutes and sometimes they'll, lim they'll disqualify you by just calling your name twice and, okay, you're out of here. I've been disqualified standing, staring at the screen. I'm like, wow, when am I going to go? And they're like, oh, you got disqualified. I'm like, how? I was standing right next to the, guy, the scorekeeper for the last 40 minutes. How did I get disqualified for a no-show? <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but what about you, Anthony? What are two things you like and don't like about so, competition? I, I think I'm going to... Since I'm going to go last, I'm going to steal from a little bit of both of you, which is like, I think the first thing I like about competition is that it's real. And yeah. I'm someone who, like, I like to train pretty hard, and but not all of my rounds are really hard. And the other thing is, is I mean, not that competition is, like, the only thing that's real, but it, it's a lot more real when a lot of times you could be training with someone and you could be, maybe you're a lot more experienced than them or you're a lot bigger than them and you're like, yeah, well, I beat this guy up because X, Y, and Z. Or maybe it's the other way around and you're like, well... I beat this guy up because he's hungover, like he was hungover today, and that's why I beat his ass. Or he was working on his, like, his last-second guillotine defense, and I caught him one out of three times, but, you know, quote-unquote, that would never really happen. And that's not true when you're competing. Right. When you're competing, you're going against people who are, you know, for the most part, besides, you know, you, you got Colabate in your bracket or, you know, some shit like that happens. It, that still happens in competition, but it's significantly less than in training rooms. It's a much closer, for the most part, parity, like size-wise, age, rank, all this sort of stuff. And these people are pretty much your peers in my experience. And they're going really, really hard, right? Yeah. And because they actually want to win. And it's not that they want to hurt you or anything like that, but they're, they're dare to win. And if you've been working on a sequence, like, I'm, like let's say I'm working on whatever, toe holds, and I'm like, oh, I'm trying to get better at toe holds. It's like, okay, this is how I finish it. My partner doesn't do anything. They just look at me because they're a blue belt and I'm not supposed to toe hold them and I just do it because I'm an ass. But, or this is how I catch so-and-so who's hungover. It's like, okay, well, if I go to a competition and I'm at, you know, Wichita Falls open 2024 and I hit a toehold. I'm like, well, 
I mean, that was real. This guy really didn't want to tap and, and I caught him and I finished it. And it's like, okay, well, that's like a validation of my training practices. And so that's one of the big things I like. It's like, it's really real. So number one, from like what I'm doing is working or it's not working, I get to see it there. And also because like, I just like, like the act of it. I just like, not so much, this is the part where me and Ray disagree. Not so much the winning, because when I win, there's no explosion that happens in my head. I don't know why, I just don't get it. But I really like the actual act of competing. Um, I think the other thing I really like is the growth that I get from competing. That was the other thing I was going to say, where when I first started, I would see guys who are competing a lot, like guys like you and Ray, and you guys are competing a lot. I'm like, oh, there's some of the best blue belts, and they compete all the time. I'm like, okay, well, of course, if you're the best blue belt or the best whatever, of course, you're going to compete because you know you're going to succeed. And then when I started competing, I'm like, oh, it's actually the act of competing that's, that makes them better. Yeah. Because I had that where I was like, I'm like, okay, well, I did like one competition when I came back from it. I'm like, oh, I'm suddenly way better than I was like a week ago. And it's something that I'm sure at some point there would be like a rate of diminishing returns on it. But I haven't had it yet every time I get ready for a competition because it's not just the actual act of competing, which right. is really important. Because when you're really competing, you're going for real. You get that filter of, oh, in this moment, I cannot give up this grip. Yeah. In this moment, I can't stop moving. I have to keep moving. But it's also the, um, it's also coming to training in a way that's different. You're like, okay, well, I can't bullshit for all five of these rounds. I better get some hard training in on some of them. I better work on my offensive cycles. I better really go doing mental preparation, like something I do if I know I have a competition coming up is I'll start keeping score. And that's something I've started doing a lot, just in general, but I'm definitely doing it if I know I have a competition coming up. I'm thinking about the rule set that I have coming up. I'm like, oh, I better, I can't do heel hooks at this one, so I better not even pretend I'm gonna go for heel hooks. What am I working on? I'm always gonna take the two points. If I plan on always taking the two points, I'm always gonna take the two points. I'm thinking in my head, there's a ref sitting right there who's, give, who's like giving me shitty calls, stuff like that, and I do that a lot to help me prepare. And I think that makes me much better than if I if there was no competition scene, I, I think I would be significantly worse. I think that's a a long thing. And then when it comes to things I don't like, you guys didn't mention it. Um, I get extremely anxious when I compete. Oh, yeah. That's and, that's a big one. And I know that everyone who competes gets that. And it's gotten much better than it used to. And I know at one point when I was a blue belt, I would sit there and I'm like, like if I leave, no one's gonna know. Like I was these are the type of thoughts I was having. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like, I'm sitting here, my matches are gonna be up for an hour. I don't know why I came here. I took time off of work to come here. I got an argument with my boss, but I'm going to leave. I don't want to be here. And no, I did. I never did that. And maybe I will one day, but I, I didn't. And as soon as I would grip up, all that anxiety went away. It just, it just disappeared. But in the lead up to compete, it was really bad. Like I would get the email from Grappling Industries and they would be like, it's like, oh, we're going to be in Baruch in like three months. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> this anxiety already started. And yeah. having that anxiety really bothered me. And it still bothers me now sometimes. Sometimes I go and I compete and it just feels like, I'm like, oh, it's kind of weird. There's like a ref and I don't know these people in the same way it would be if I went to like an open mat somewhere that I've never been to. It's just like, oh, this is unfamiliar. And then other times I'll go and I'm just in the bullpen and I'm like, I, I sort of get that feeling not as bad as it used to be, but I still get that feeling of, oh man, why did I do this? This is fucking stupid. I could be anywhere right now. I could be talking to myself in the DMs right now. I could be at home bullshitting. I could be anywhere except for here, but I'm here and I played myself. And so I, I still get that feeling. Um, and then the other thing that I, I don't like about competing is, is kind of to go to something Ray said, which is like all the bullshit you have to go through when you compete, yeah. right? Like, especially as I've gone up through the ranks, it's really hard to find like a big bracket of, it's not like 20 guys are signing up to do grappling industries who are like masters brown belts at yeah. any weight category uh, as of yet. And so if I want to go compete, almost always it means traveling. It means you know, pay, paying for the travel, paying for 
hotels, paying the registration fee. It means not working that weekend. It means taking time off. It means, you know, it means, and it's also like an opportunity cost in the sense of like, I am preparing specifically for a, pop, a competition. I'm changing the way I lift weights because of the competition. I'm changing the way I eat because of the competition. There's a lot of things that go into it. And I'm willing to pay that price. And in some ways, it's cool. Like, that's part of the preparation. That's part of the cost. And I've had, like, lots of great experiences. Just, like, I probably travel more than I would if I didn't compete, right? So that's my excuse. Like, oh, look, I want – actually, I do want to go to Vegas. Let's go. Let's go to Nationals. You know what I mean? But it's definitely a limiting factor. I think I would compete much more if the cost was significantly less. If there was just, like – if there was 20 guys competing, you know, down the street, like, twice a month – I wouldn't get on a plane half as often to go. You know what I mean? Just stuff, stuff like that. Yeah. So next question, right? Uh, I think we're about to get a little bit controversial with this next question. <laughs> so I'll go first because I don't want you guys to answer a question that I wouldn't be willing to answer. Uh, I was going to go first to go to set the tone, but okay. I guess you set the tone. What are qualities in the student that you do not like when you're teaching a class? Right? So I will go first. I think it's just teaching a student who has very little bodily coordination. Right? I think, oh, but man, he called out half of you. <laughs> Damn! If you were listening to him say that, you said that's me. It was no, <laughs> it's you. If the shoe fits. So I think whenever I'm teaching somebody, I think it's extremely difficult to teach someone who has no reference or frame of reference or even relationship to their body. Right? I think when I teach somebody, they have to have at least a simple understanding or a simple relationship with their own body. Right? If like you tell them literacy of movement, literacy, literacy of movement is a great way to put it. Give me one. So I think it's a lot harder to teach a class when somebody just can't understand um, functionally what I'm trying to teach them. Right. Basically, if I'm teaching a triangle and I say, take your right hand and grab your left shin and all of a sudden they're grabbing behind their ears. I'm like, this is <laughs> you're making <laughs> my job like so much health. harder. Right. <laughs> if, if I tell them or especially this is the worst. Right. When I pick somebody in the class to help me demonstrate the move, oh, and man. I tell them, okay, so my partner's going to grab onto my collars here, and they grab onto my pants, <laughs> and I say, no, 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 grab onto my collars, and they grab onto my wrists, and it's like, dude, just grab my collars. They're right here. <laughs> Yo, you'll put their hand where it needs to be, and then yeah. they'll move it somewhere else. No, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. I think it's just harder to teach a student that just doesn't have the same coordination or literacy of movement, as Grahal has put it. It just makes my job so much harder, right? And I think, now nah, I'm not gonna start hating, but like, yo, you guys need to go, go like stare in the mirror and like do like <laughs> I um hand eye coordination, yeah, like hand eye coordination drills for ten hours before you come to my class. I'm not saying that at all, but it just makes my job a lot harder. But you're not not saying that. I'm not not saying. If you did it, it would be appreciated. He's not telling you to do it. What about you, Gralis? Um, so I, I mean, I, I I agree with you on that point. But I was that person when I started, so it's, <laughs> and it, it's sort of, it is what it is. Um, I think the thing that makes me the most annoyed, maybe this is a cop-out answer, but I really feel this way, is if someone doesn't want to be in class, that, that makes me annoyed. And now this doesn't typically happen with adults. Like, if they're coming to class, they want to be there. They want to train, even if they have two left feet, and you're like, this person's so uncoordinated. I don't know how they got through the door from their bed, from their bed when they woke up to get to here. I don't know how they did it because uh, they don't know what's happening. But it happens a lot when you're teaching kids, right? And some of the kids want to be there. They're having fun. And some of them just aren't. They're, like, not paying attention. They're bullshitting. And it's fine. Like, they're being forced to come there. But to what you said, like, I'm not mad at them. It, it just makes my job a lot harder. 
when you're trying to teach them and they're not listening, or worse, you're trying to teach the kids who are listening and they're being disruptive. So I, I think that's one of the things that I don't like. Um, something else that I guess I don't like if we're going to talk like specifically about like adult students, which is mostly what I deal with, is, and I've told this to many people, many of my students, is like people who don't do the move. <laughs> and it's like I show them how to do the move. And we do, this is true in privates. Like we'll have multiple privates of doing the moves. I had this with one student. We were working on whatever, whatever position. Because he's like, this keeps coming up. It's happening over and over. I'm like, oh, that's great. I know exactly what to do. I don't have to look it up on the YouTube. I already looked it up on the YouTube. I know this move. We drilled it for like three or four privates. We were do positional rounds. And he was hitting it on me. Like he was like really, like eventually we got to the point where if we, if we started deep enough in the technique, he would really do the move to me. I'm like, great. You're going to be able to do this move to this other person who's your nemesis, who, by the way, is a tiny white belt. So you're definitely going to be able to do it to them. And then I watched him start training right after our last private. His nemesis was going to be there. He gets into the position, and he just doesn't fucking do it. He doesn't even try to do it. He just, like, transitions to some nonsense. And I was just, this is very frustrating. I'm like, <laughs> why did we do all of that stuff? Like, are you, it's like, are you messing with me? Are you messing with yourself? Like, why did we do that? But I think that's my, that's my big thing. And, of course, like, to his point, if, that's, if the training was what he wanted to do, but then I've, I've talked to this about some people. They're just like, yeah, like it's fun to train and it's fun to see like what I'm supposed to do. But then I get there in the moment and either A, I forget what the move is. And so I'm like, oh, man, Anthony said do X, Y, and Z. He said eat the cheese or whatever, I don't, but I forgot what it meant. So I'm just like bugging out. Or they're like they get to the position like, oh, I know I'm supposed to do X, but what if I do Y? And it's like, well, Y is almost always they get tapped, right? <laughs> but like they want to do it. And if, if that's what gives them joy in the match, that's cool. But again, to your point, like I, I don't care because it doesn't really mess me up, but it just makes it harder for me to see the outcomes that I want to see, which is just part of the like the coach-student dynamic, right? You could teach someone something, but if they don't want to do it, that's not going to work. And I've been on the other side of that too. So, Yeah. What about you, Giovanni? I mean, I think one of the things that, I guess, I don't know if it frustrates me, annoys me, um, is w one is when they ask, irrelevant questions during the class like we're That's showing oh my god we said that we we're we're, sh we're going over kimura attacks from the close guard why are you asking about outside ashi like I, that's not the moment for this right and 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 i'm not saying like i want to preface that with like we're not i'm not shaming anybody who has questions that's all the ask all the questions but there's a time for it don't ask me in the middle of a round don't ask me in the middle of showing a move like if you have a questions about something that's not related to what we're doing in class wait till after the class like I'm more I'm always more than and this is personally like I, I'm always more than happy to if I'm not if I don't if I'm not in a rush I'll answer any questions you have you want to talk about donkey guard pause then, then cool like we can Word. talk about that but like um if we're going over close guard there's no need for you to ask me about uh, fucking some other shit turtle right like j just not now right like um how do they do false read from close <laughs> right i just feel like jujitsu is already so complex i'm like even if i do answer this question for you you're just both information about the close guard and now about the outside ashi are both going to go over your head anyways right um and plus like you come to class right like you don't go to your history class and start asking your fucking professor about all the colonizers and shit like that's not what you're going over so same thing here um, I think the other thing is when you are teaching class and you give the instructions, right? Like you're like pass, sweep, submit, no heel hooks, this, this, and that. And then all you see is everybody going to the death and ripping each other's 
feet and shit. And it's like, well, I, clearly the, the rules were set so you can try to minimize the injury and give everybody an opportunity to work on whatever it is that we worked on, right? Like, there's a reason the instructor said that. So, at the very least, like, you could just do that, you it's know? Because uh, I've even seen the opposite. I've gone to a class where the instructor was like, okay, we just went over, like, to hold an ankle locks for 40 minutes. I want you guys to only do leg locks um, this class. Like, ignore chokes, ignore arm locks. I just want you guys to play with the legs. And I turn around, there's some purple belt. He just kept arm triangling people over and over and over and over again. The coach is just staring at him mad, but he didn't want to interrupt his rounds. And people just don't listen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so an addendum to what Giovanni just said, because I didn't know this until he said it, but it's also the student that asked me, okay, and then what's next? And then what's next? And then what I would do from here? And then what, I, what, I, what would I do from here? What it's if your just, partner stands up? What if my partner stands up? What if my partner pulls out a knife? What if my partner starts trying to rip my nose off? I'm like, what if my partner locks himself in the bathroom so that he doesn't have to keep training with me? I started telling <laughs> students, I'm like, first, like, can I ask you a question? And, I was, and as a joke, I started telling them this, but I actually mean it now. It's like, yeah. sure, but if my answer takes me more than three minutes, I'm gonna start billing you for my private sessions. Yeah, because I think that's true, right? I think Josh Hinger, who I have a lot of uh, opinions, <laughs> opinions about, <laughs> about Josh greatest. Hinger's opinions, right? But bald brotherhood, I'm uh, with them. One of the things that I really agree with him on is that I don't like it when students, and I, I'm sure they're not intentionally doing this. I'm sure they don't even know that they're doing this. But when students try to like sneak a private out of me, right, by just asking me so many questions and taking up so much of my time. Now, again, just like Giovanni, I am more than happy to answer the occasional question. But if you're there and you see that I either have a class to teach or I'm trying to train or I don't know that you're just sitting there asking me question after question after question, right? Especially if those questions just evolve into more questions, right? Right. Then I, I think they're honestly just trying to take advantage of my time, right? If you want to have me sit down and answer an hour of your questions, then you should pay for my private rate, right? Um, again, if there's a question, if it's quick, if it's just like, oh, I'm doing this technique and this guy grabs this grip, what do I do? Of course, it only takes two minutes to answer that, right? And if I want to donate some of my time to you to answer these questions that's a different story for right? sure but you should be more appreciative maybe not more appreciative that's the wrong word for sure i think more you should cognizant. be more cognizant and conscious of taking an instructor's time to answer certain questions right i think if you want to ask them like question after question like what happens what do we do when this happens what do we do when this happens right then you should first of all ask your ask your instructor do you have a certain amount of time to answer these questions is like i'm asking for 10 and 15 minutes of your time yeah. and if they say yeah then of course now you have affirmative consent right but if you just try to rope them in into asking like basically giving them a free private like a right 15 minute private yeah then you you should be aware of what you're doing right I, I and think i, I think like, i'm sorry i was going to say I, I think it's like a good rule of thumb is is it two questions or three minutes? Whichever comes first, like that's the limit. Yeah. It's like it's like, oh, is this grip real or what should I do from here? And it's always it's never in the middle of rounds. It's like once class is over, yeah. like class is over and your instructor's sitting around, he's covering his sweat, and he's not doing anything anyways because he doesn't want to go back home. Or if it's if it's like in between rounds and your instructor's just not training, he's just looking at you and you're like, oh yeah, blah blah blah, whatever. But it has to be short. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure that most students don't know this because, I mean, the instructor's right there. He's yeah. there to answer questions. And I'm sure most people don't mean to take up so much time trying to answer questions. So I guess this is a good platform to discuss this. But really think about how much time you're taking from your instructor when people pay for that time. Or at least he sells that time to other people, right? And again, I don't want to deter anybody from asking their instructor's questions. No, right. th this only happened to me one time where I felt like, no, oh, for man, sure. it was that was... 
I, I need to build that guy for yeah. box. <laughs> I think like the big, the also, like a big takeaway is just like, there's a time and place, right? Like, you know, I think what you said is perfect. Like ask your, ask the person beforehand. And it's not just instructors, like just anybody at the gym, maybe it's a regular, like ask them, do you have X amount of time to answer some questions that I feel like you might be able to help me answer? Yeah. Um, so definitely taking that approach. And just like, like you said, uh, cognizant, just being aware, like, yo, time is valuable. Time yeah. is like, it's the one thing we can't get back. So like, yeah. you know, some people in like you said, jujitsu is not a sport where we can make a lot of money. So like we also value that probably a little bit more. Yeah, and I'm I don't want to make it sound like on my free time I'm curing cancer. <laughs> For sure. I'm like He's just helping. scrolling on his phone. <laughs> I'm helping. Say, if, if if Ray tries to play this and you say shut up, Ray, he's gonna be scrolling your phone anyway. You better show me how to how to use the script. <laughs> you better not leave. Yeah. I'm not showing Elon Musk like how to set up Neuralink <laughs> so like we can all share like a divine consciousness. This is not what I'm doing, right? Uh, and of course, I'm more than willing and more than happy to answer my students' questions. Just be more aware of how much time you're actually taking from anybody when you're answering these questions or when you're asking these questions. Yeah. Just think them out before you ask them. That's all. Okay. I think we have one more question. Um, so I don't know how long this question might take, but I, we did get one question. Um, we got a few. When is Black Horse going to be on the pod? Oh, no. <laughs> Now, I, let me let, because again, like Ray said, I don't want to send it off without having, being able to answer this question myself. So I'm going to go first. When is Black Horse going to be on the podcast? You know what? Um, we've had a couple meetings and I think we need a couple more. Um, Many. We need, we need a couple more meetings to, you know, figure out how, how, the way that it can make sense for everyone. Um, as for, we don't have a definite answer when Black Horse is going to be on, but... There's a scheduling issue. There, there has been a bit of a scheduling issue. We're not uh, available to shoot the podcast at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so. no, that's that's not a time that works for us, but um, I, I, this is probably the most political answer you're going to get, because after this... Anyways, that's my answer. No, I, I, I am going to answer this question in two parts. First of all, Ben of the Week goes to Black Horse. <laughs> Like, of the week goes to Black we want to say that this should have been given to him at least two week, a week ago. If we what, ever don't ago? say it, it's him. Yeah, if we ever don't say it, it's Black Horse, right? <laughs> but also, every week it's Black Horse, right? Because yeah, He's a runner-up week... or he's a champion. <laughs> he's always on the podium. <laughs> he's always on the podium for Pendejo of the week. But here's the thing about Black Horse. I, and wow, I might have to cut this out because sometimes, <laughs> and I only understood this at like, sometimes I think Bert Kreischer said this where he'll like be just talking for three hours on a podcast and he'll just say anything to fill the time or he'll just go on like a rant and just keep saying the next thing, the next thing that pops into his mind. But sometimes, I mean, I'm the editor for this podcast. Uh, that's not true. Kit, cut that out. <laughs> Kit is the editor for this podcast, right? And sometimes... I'll listen to the recording of the unedited podcast and I'll be like, what am I talking about? Or Yo. what am I saying? Or I can't believe I said that, right? <laughs> and that's just because there's a microphone in front of your face or sometimes you forget that the microphone's in front of your face and you're just talking with your boys, right? So yeah, hypnotized I, by your own voice and you just keep going. And you yeah. just keep going. And I think Black Horse is one of those people that this is a danger, right? Yes. I think there are certain people, not just Black Horse, but there are certain people that you cannot put them in front of a microphone just because you do not know what they're going to say. It definitely can't be on the regular feed. No, it the definitely... Black Horse episode. It cannot be on the regular feed. Yeah. It definitely has to be on a Patreon. Like or a pay-per-view feed. <laughs> or on like... <laughs> Venmo me $15 and I'll send you the link sort of feed. The, yeah, like the... I have to put like an 18 plus disclaimer before the Black Horse episode, right? And I also think that this doesn't necessarily play to Black Horse strengths. 
Oh, now I'm getting really good. Oh, usually what's he do Black Horse versus Roosevelt Paharis episode? Just have to stare. I think we're we're obviously going to figure out how to get this once we get the Patreon going on. We go, we might you know have Black Horse on, but man, Black Horse. I've already gotten requests to put subtitles on our episodes. Yeah, and I understand like people like some people are like um just cannot listen to a podcast right some people read a lot better some people like cannot listen or watch any form of media without the subtitles i understand like it's just the way that people view and understand written or spoken language better right that's just the way that some people like to uh enjoy came over on the mayflower and they're like i don't understand these guys yeah why are they speaking spanish for half the episode i don't know what's going on i need subtitles so i think that if we are ever going to have a black horse episode it needs subtitles right facts just because I'll be talking to Black Horse in person, in person. He'll say a complete sentence, and I'll just be like, what the hell did you just say? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'll need a translator. I'll need Grahalis right there to tell me. I've had like, to what translate did, what he said multiple times. What did he just say? And he'll be like, oh, no, he said this, this, and this. I'm That's like, the other thing. It couldn't just be subtitles. It would have to be a translation of what he actually meant. Yeah. Like yeah. the, like the, uh, the, the Travelers and, um, and Snatch, where sometimes the subtitles just has what their actual meaning is and not what the words are saying because the words don't mean anything to me either. <laughs> yeah. She's like, what? Huh? So I think that we will have a Black Horse episode one day. One right? day. One day. Soon. But it's definitely not going to be any time in the near future just because... It's not next week. It's not next week. I'll tell you right, right now. Yeah, no, Black Horse here next week, but Black Horse will not be here. Um, yeah, no, not next week. But, you know, we'll figure it out. We got we to gotta talk, talk it out. Um, but Black Horse, we'll, we'll get you on. on. He asked me all the time about it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> Black horse, pendejo of the week, just for this week and every other week if we want it. All right. So, oh wait, I got one last question. Oh, okay, go ahead. All right, one last question. <clears throat> um, it's a it's a two parter. First one is very easy. Have you ever been jumped? And then second part of that, can you be friends with someone who sees you get jumped? And they don't jump in to help you. So, for example, right? Let's say you guys are out with Black oh, Horse, no. right? Oh, no. no, and then Ray gets jumped, and then Grahalis and, and Black Horse see him. Could you be friends with them after they just witness you get uh, getting jumped? Now, I'm a, I'm gonna go first because yes, I've gotten jumped, and yes, I've had my friends literally watch me. This happened in middle school. Got my phone robbed. After that, these motherfuckers threw a log at my head. So not only did they take my That's phone, it's murder. I, I, le- I left with like a half a. That might have been my first ever concussion. Then they called me later that night and said, "Yo, we'll sell you your phone back." Oh my goodness! Yeah, no, That's so, crazy. Um, so could I be friends with them? I mean, probably not. No, um, I don't talk to any of them. I have, we're friends on Instagram, probably, and that's about it. Okay. Um, how about you guys? So, so I'll answer this question too. I've also been jumped by Raymundo Gonzalez. <laughs> I was I was training with uh, so, with someone else, and this man was on my back, and then Raymundo comes over and just starts trying to put me in toeholds oh. while my arms are locked up, basically in the crucifix, <laughs> and I had to be rescued by one of the other coaches. It was crazy. So that's my experience being jumped. And number one, and number two is like, the answer is no. <laughs> like if I'm getting jumped and I'm, and I'm sitting there and I'm seeing the Tims come at my head and then I look past the Tims and Ray's like, like laughing and pointing at me, that's, that's a wrap. We're Even not if he's not anymore. laughing, would you still be not be his friend? It don't, it don't matter. He All might right. as well be. If he's sitting there, he's just chilling. He's like, damn, that's messed that's up. That's crazy. You better come in here. You better not be sitting there. I don't care, what, I don't care if he's crying. He's like, oh no, this is terrible. You better get up. You better stop being on the sidelines. How about you, Ray? So, no, I've never been jumped. And that's really weird considering that I grew up in some of the most dangerous neighborhoods in New York City. Not trying to leave the house, though, to get jumped, right? Yeah, gotta leave the house. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I've never been jumped. That's crazy. I was on my Sega Genesis 18 hours a day. Never got jumped, though. Don't know why. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Maybe I was just too sheltered growing up. Fuck you, girl. <laughs> nah, he, he, was, he was doing the right thing. He was staying out of trouble, not taking the wrong corners. I think you and I were, were too curious for our own You're good sometimes. Curious. You were out on the streets too much. I was, I yeah. was, I was out there too much. Maybe you should have yeah. been sheltered more. <laughs> Probably. Been, bro. I'm going to lock yeah. your ass up in here next time. <laughs> okay, word. We should lock him up with Black Horse. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. if there's somebody that should be locked up, it is Black Horse. Um, if I saw, if I saw like, if I was getting jumped and I actually saw like, I don't know, my friend recording it and then, <laughs> and then <laughs> I'd be like, why are we just recording it? World star. Yeah. And it was like, no, 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 for, for police evidence so we can identify the attackers. I'm like, no, you fucking did it. Bro. You should have put if, that phone down on the tripod or something, and then she can. What if they say it's, it's for you to study to, to, for next <laughs> review footage? <laughs> submit to the, the match footage. Submit it to the Gracie uh, Gracie breakdown. Yeah. No, that'd be crazy. <laughs> no, um, we we honestly couldn't stay friends after that. There has to be some form of intervention. That's fair. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Latinx Guard podcast. This was episode twelve. Uh, a reiteration of all the announcements that we made at the beginning of the podcast. We are now on Apple Podcasts. So if you don't have Spotify or if you don't have Instagram, now you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Latin Card Podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't rated our podcast, that's fine. We it's appreciate... <laughs> you better fucking rate it. If you look at the star and it's empty because you haven't rated it, you better go in and put five stars right now. Don't wait. Don't wait till the episode's over. Just do it. Thank you so much for those who have rated the episode or the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or wherever, right? Um, thank you so much for supporting us on social media where you can find the podcast at Latin Asgard Podcast on Instagram. You can find me at Mundo. Giovanni, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at Giovanni underscore Rosario. And you can find me at Chairman underscore Fu and at Wendy's on 650 Broadway. I'm there all the time. Hell yeah. <laughs> Just roll up and I'm down. So just a reiteration of the disclaimer that we put in the beginning of the episode. I might have to edit that um, disclaimer to be even to louder. Longer. Not only louder, you, have, you might have to put it in the middle of the episode at the end. Look, we, we appreciate, we love, we appreciate all the support. However, some of y'all really think that this is us 24-7, like what we say. We talked about how dangerous it can be, but this is, I mean, you, we, we talk for about an hour. That's all you get of the 24 hours of the day of us. Don't hold us to everything we say. We're here to make people laugh and, you know, obviously share some of our thoughts in this space right um we we enjoy it we're having fun however um some of y'all really take this too serious and it's funny because i, I feel like the audience <laughs> is polarized there are some people who are don't like some of the things you say they like really don't like yeah them. yeah yeah and then there's other people who i talk to who's like but you guys didn't say anything right yeah. some people no, will say you guys I mean, are so pg because they see how we are when there's no microphone in front of us and we're not editing things out. And they're like, yo, man, you guys didn't even say the real thing. You said the, mm. you went 10% as the tip of the iceberg. They, they want me to have like the jiu-jitsu kill list. Like I think X, Y, and Z people should be dead. Like yeah, that's yeah, what they, they want kill me to kill this person. I mean, Ray has come in here and said, yo, people want us to hate more. Who are they your want top, your bottom 10 favorite or like your least favorite people in the gym? Tell, call out their government name. That's what they want. <laughs> the social security numbers and government names. And addresses. What, what are your... <laughs> We're lynching people at the gym. Who, who goes first? Who are your least favorite sex offenders in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Like, they want me to, like, name all of these your people. Your least favorite. All right. Uh, number <laughs> five, we're going with. <laughs> so, and then there are some people that I'll be like, yeah, I think boxing is not as good as Jiu-Jitsu. I'm like, what the fuck do you say? I'll fucking kill you. So, Hugo Cesar Chavez is my dad. I'm like, all right, bro, <laughs> calm down. Like, it's like, yo, what? it was a hypothetical matchup. Like, relax. Um, so, 
to all those people that listen to the podcast, we're thankful if you react in any way. Whoever right? appreciate listens, it. It's good. Love, like, hate. Either way, we appreciate. Thank you so much for listening. The haters St- are better for engagement. Stay blessed. I hope everybody continues to have a wonderful day. And if you're having a shitty day, hope it turns the, turns around. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.